What is humanism? What are humanist values? What is unique about living as a humanist in Northwest Ohio? This is the place to find out. My name is Douglas Berger, and this is Glass City Humanist. In this episode, I talked to Reverend Dr. T.K. Barger of the First Unitarian Church of Toledo about the historic ties between the UUs and humanism. We also discuss how Unitarians have religious rituals that are not based in the supernatural. And we talk about some of the differences between religious and secular humanism. The modern humanist movement got its start in Unitarian Universalist congregations late in the 19th and early in the 20th century, which culminated in the publishing of the first Humanist Manifesto in 1933. Two Unitarians also helped establish the American Humanist Association in the early 1940s. There is a strong thread of connection between humanism and Unitarian Universalism. Even as humanism moves to be more secular and Unitarians aren't always 100% accepting of secular humanists. There is much we agree on and we can work together. Reverend Dr. T.K. Barger has been the called minister for First UU of Toledo since 2017 and is a founding board member of our sponsor, the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie. T.K. got his start in journalism and after 9-11 decided to be of more service by becoming a minister. He also worked as the religion editor at the Toledo Blade for several years before being called to serve full-time at First UU. Now, obviously, we know you as the currently, I guess what they call a called minister. Is that the proper title? Yes. For Toledo First UU. But, But what is your origin story? How did you become the Reverend Dr. T.K. Barger? Okay, well, this goes, we could choose many directions. Let me tell you (laughs) some of my discernment to becoming a minister. I had a long career in the publishing industry, and it goes in part to September 11, 2001. I was working at TV Guide magazine at the time. I was a copy editor, and when September 11th happened, it caused many people to reevaluate what they were doing with their lives. I thought that, well, I, I had the feeling that I wanted to go help somehow, and I had none of the training or credentials uh, to be able to provide any type of service in the aftermath of September 11th. And as a Unitarian Universalist, a person with liberal religion, I wasn't really going to go down there and kind of freelance and say, uh, let me pray with you or anything like that. But it did uh, cause me to consider, uh, to, to, to start thinking about how I might better do some type of service. I could have gone into medical training, for example, or found some way to be able to use the other skills I had. But I'd always known that Ministry was a potential profession because I'm the son of a Methodist minister who was an Air Force chaplain. And I was, I had come to Unitarian Universalism after trying other 
Christian denominations and a time of no faith whatsoever, and finally came into Unitarian Universalism, joining the first Unitarian Church of Austin, Texas in 1992. And so this was 2001. I was living in Brooklyn. I realized that I did not want my contribution to society really be to provide accurate TV listings. That's the way I (laughs) kind of derisively put it. I didn't actually work on the listings, but yes, I worked on TV Guide magazine. And what we did after September 11th was come into the office and just start calling people and asking them what their feelings were when they saw this on TV. And that was our special issue for the next week. But it took me a while. It took like five years for me to line things up with finances to be able to go to seminary and to decide where to go to school and that type of thing. But I entered the ministry training then. And I ended up quitting my job in 2006, moving to Chicago to go to Meadville Lombard Theological Seminary, one of the two Unitarian Universalist seminaries. And I went through the program in three years At the end of my third year, I had a major health crisis, and that delayed my entering the ministry a while. Plus, I had some major differences with the credentialing committees that caused three visits to them before I was approved for ministry. Anyway, with all of that, I ended up working as a hospital chaplain in Philadelphia and on a one-year residency. And at the end of that residency, as I was looking for another job, a an ad for a religion editor for the Toledo Blade comes across uh, my desk, and I realize, hey, I could combine my past background in publishing and my present interest in religion and do that. And though I had been away from journalism for a while, I think I offered the combination that the Blade was really looking for, and I got that job. I ended up being religion editor for for the Blade for a little more than four years. And during that time, the First Unitarian Church of Toledo, their minister left. They decided to go for a year intentionally lay-led, and I was affiliated with them as a community minister as part of the requirements for my entering uh, Unitarian Universalist ministry. So we ended up both sides, the congregation and me, discerning whether entering the ministry would be something that we both wanted. And we finally decided, yes, let's work together and come back and I would do full-time ministry. So I accepted their offer in, I believe, November of 2016, and I started full-time in February of 2017. So I've been there a little more than three years now, and at least in my perception, things are going fine. Now, uh, Unitarian Universalism is, I guess, for lack of a better word, is a religious group. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. And it's been Uh, identified, it's been identified with religious humanism and is where the modern humanist movement began. Could you tell us specifically what what Unitarian Universalism is? How does how does religious humanism fit into it? Sorry. Yeah. Unitarian Universalism, as I say, is a liberal religion. It has a background in Christianity that there were the Unitarians 
that there are different ways of talking about the history of this church. Really, the Unitarians, as we know them in North America, grew out of the Puritan movement in New England, that there were dissenting congregations at some point to the control of the congregational religion as exercised by the Puritans. And uh, they kind of broke off and started the procedures of, uh, well, if you have state-sponsored religion, we want to be sponsored too. And this got to the term that I think we all learned as kids, anti-disestablishmentarianism goes into some Unitarian roots. But the Unitarian Church grew that way. And in other ways of tracing the history, you can go back to uh, Eastern Europe and King John Sigismund of Transylvania and his being the first to have a religious toleration law or go even further back to 325 AD and the Council of Nicaea in which the official doctrine of the Trinity was adopted. And there were some dissenters from that who ended up being called Unitarians going for one God rather than one God in three. So there's all of that history. And the Universalist Church was a separate church that I believe started in England. My history is a little vague right now. But it moved to America and was kind of flourishing. While the Unitarians were in New England, the Universalists were pretty much in Western New York and growing from there. And in they, they had similar theologies. The Universalists really were the ones who were saying, how can a loving God have a, such a place as hell for a place of punishment? So all will be saved. And that was the Universalist aspect of it. And in the 20th century, both of those movements were having their own challenges with thriving as churches and realized that with the similarities in their theology, they might be better together consolidating rather than continuing separately. And 1961 was the time of the formal consolidation. And that's when it became Unitarian Universalism. As for humanism, it really began as a movement in the late 19th century. And in the early 20th century is really when humanism uh, was making great, getting great notice with the Humanist Manifesto of 1933, primarily, which was largely signed by people who had affiliations with the Unitarian Church. There were uh, a couple of Universalists, too. And at one point, I wrote a scholarly paper tracing a number of the signers, I think it was a majority of the signers of the Humanist Manifesto, to having a relationship with Meadville Theological School, which is where I ended up going to seminary after it had merged with another school, the Lombard uh, School. Yeah, the Lombard. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. But with... With all of that, Unitarianism was flourishing. I believe the American Humanist Association, and Doug, you're going to have to help me. I'm blanking on a name right now. <laughs> but the founder of the AHA was a Unitarian minister. 
And yeah, I can't think of the name either. This is Douglas, and I wanted to pause this recording for a moment to give an editorial note. The name of the person Reverend Barger was having trouble trying to remember was Edwin H. Wilson. And the two Unitarians who helped form the AHA back in the 1940s was Curtis Reese and John Dietrich. Reverend Barger noted to me later that Reese and Dietrich were major influences on him. There are links to information about all three people in the show notes at glasscityhumanist.show. Now back to the interview. With that, there was the Unitarian Church was uh, very much involved. And another thing with my own biography and coming into the Unitarian Universalist Church as a religious humanist is when I was applying to seminary, I kind of had a backup plan. I noticed that there was this organization called the Humanist Institute that offered leadership training. And I thought, well, I could apply to that. Oh, look, this is a time when they're forming a new class. This was a time when they would form a class for a three-year program, and the same cohort would go through the entire program together with one faculty mentor leading you through the whole thing. And my faculty mentor was the Reverend Kendall Gibbons, who uh, is a Unitarian Universalist minister now in Kansas City. She was in Minneapolis uh, at that time. And I thought, hey, it would even give me some, some more background in Unitarian Universalism if I just did the Humanist Institute. Well, I ended up getting accepted to seminary, realizing that there was a way that I could also do Humanist Institute at the same time. So I was kind of co-enrolled and went through both of those programs in three years. And Mm. when I finished the classroom aspect of the Humanist Institute, Kendall offered me a ministerial internship at First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis. So I accepted that. So I got a very good grounding, I think, in religious humanism as well. And I do distinguish that there is a difference between religious humanism and secular humanism. And I do say that as a Unitarian Universalist minister, I am a religious humanist. But as you know from our own conversations and our work with the secular humanists of Western Lake Erie, we try to minimize whatever differences there might be between the secular humanists and the religious humanists. And one of the things that I realize is that there are some people who are anti-religion for whatever reason, whether it's personal relation, personal experience, or whether it's a uh, philosophical outlook, or for something else, but they do not really want to have anything to do with churches. So as we've had some secular humanists of Western Lake Erie meetings at First Unitarian Church, I was always one to say, let's not have all of our meetings there, because it we would possibly have some people who would not attend because uh, of their uh, desire not to cross the door of a religious institution, even one that is as open and welcoming as a Unitarian church. Yeah, and and I can vouch for that, obviously, since... I was the one that set up those meetings. Yeah, we did. We did hear from several people that 
would not go to a meeting of our group because we were meeting at the church. Yeah. And and I am also one of those people who try to avoid churches when I can, mm-hmm. e- even Unitarian churches. But yeah, I, I do agree with your point that there there isn't very much difference between religious and secular humanism. Yeah. I, I guess I guess the religious humanism is is that kind of more more into the rituals? Well, I think that there's really a little bit more of a community aspect that you end up having a congregation, which is a little bit different than having meetings because we also go through some type of ritual. And one of the things, as I ended up becoming Unitarian Universalist after having earlier been grown up in the Methodist church and then tried the Episcopal church is I got kind of comfortable with some grand ritual and was sitting in a Unitarian church and thinking that, you know, I cannot really become comfortable in this church until I get used to the feeling of there being a lack of ritual. And then from there, realizing, you know, we have a lot of Unitarian Universalist ritual as well. It's just not quite the dance of the Episcopal Church, but we do things uh, in ordered ways in coming together and in community. So we do have ritual as well. But what we do is it is a community ritual. It is with the realization that if we're here to save the world, we know that it is people who must change the world and we cannot look to any concept of the supernatural. We can accept that there are other people in the world who do have the concept of the supernatural and end up placing themselves within stories with that outlook. But we also realize that there are people uh, in our congregation who are heavily religious, who are Christian and Muslim and Buddhist and so on. And some of us have a concept of theism. Some of us think that it is all on this world without any reliance on the supernatural, unless hoping and wishing is a supernatural thing. (laughs) We all do that. But we realize that we're here for one another and to build the, the world and to work as much in an attempt to build social justice, what some call the beloved community, as we do for the more standard aspects of church. It's not just come to come to a grand building on a Sunday morning and wear fancy clothes. No, we try to do more work in the world itself. Yeah, I was going to ask you that uh, point that you made about one of the differences with religious humanism is that the congregation is more of a community. How How is that different than, let's say, my group, the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, having monthly meetings and other events? How is that different than what, uh, what uh, Toledo First UU does? I think primarily it does get into the ritual that we come together for a Sunday service in which there are elements in which we try to recognize the awe of living in the universe, in this world, 
among each other, the the awe that is there. And while there have, I, I don't think that the secular humanists of Western Lake Erie or other secular organizations that I have attended have really gotten to the awe in the way that religious humanists have. Yes, we can talk about it sometimes at secular humanist meetings, but I don't think that there is so much of an orderly progression. And there have been a few tries at newer attempts at having a really secular-oriented coming together in the vein of a Sunday morning service. I think of Sunday Assembly. I think of right. Oasis in Kansas City, and I think elsewhere, and some other attempts is that. And it's good so far, from what I've seen, they haven't really held on. And that's really not a criticism of the assemblies. I think it's more a recognition of the way society is that because most congregations are several years old, if not centuries old, that there is more of a recognition of coming together and not trying to build something from scratch that way, to build a whole movement from scratch. And it's that we're also having troubles holding on. And as we see from all of the studies by Pew Charitable Trust and others, that church attendance all across the board is declining and we have to figure out how to be worthwhile organizations that people want to be part of. Yeah, I, I think I think in my own in my own view that a lot of times it seems to me that successful, whether it be Unitarian or supernatural religious groups that seem to be successful, is usually it's not. I, I don't want to say operating by committee, like sun, Sunday Assembly yeah. and and Oasis. They don't they don't have like a hierarchy as mm-hmm. much. And I think that a lot of times the 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 mainline churches and and you see this with all these pop up churches that yeah. just kind of explode is they've got a singular person or or two or three people that have this focus and they work hard and they drum up you know, yeah. come on down and all this stuff. And, and I think when you, when you have something like a Sunday assembly or an oasis, there's less of that, Yeah, yeah. which is good. I mean, that's something that they're going for, but then you lose that, that single vision where we want to go. And then it kind of gets, starts getting wobbly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like Unitarian Universalism, First Unitarian Church of Toledo is a member of the Unitarian Universalist Association of Congregations. And it is not a hierarchical power structure based in Boston. There is the president of the UUA and there is a structure that we certainly can make use of, but we do have the polity, as it's called, of congregational independence that we are self-supporting. We do not get uh, regular funding from Boston or anywhere else besides our own congregants. And we can make our own decisions. And the we are part of other 
liberal religious movements as well. I personally have had connections to the American Ethical Union, which is the ethical culture movement started by Felix Adler. And currently I'm an individual member of the AEU because there is no ethical culture society closer to us, I think, than Chicago. And while there are other churches as well, in Findlay, I think there still is in Findlay, Ohio, uh, right now, a brick and mortar universal life church. Yeah, I think I might have very, seen that. Yeah. yeah, that is very rare to have as well, which I think is primarily for weddings. Although I did have a conversation when I was at the Blade and was told of plans for regular Sunday services, but I have not uh, been able to attend any there if they have them. Usually if I'm in Findlay on a Sunday morning, I'm presenting the service at the Unitarian Universalist uh, Church of Blanchard Valley in Findlay. Right. Okay. And getting getting back, kind of backtracking a little bit to uh, about what, you know, is the important part of Unitarianism and, and your religious rituals, how do you keep them meaningful without it being just a rehash of supernatural-based religion? Because um, I, know, I know you have that, is it that water ceremony that's coming up in September? Well, some Unitarian Universalist congregations have a water ceremony every year for what we call in-gathering or the time after summer vacation when you come back and you start the church year in earnest. I have not had the water ceremony every year. My own take is that we have a ceremony where we celebrate one of the classic elements, earth, air, fire, and water. I think that we, since I've been there, we've done air, fire, and water, so earth would be next. I also would stretch it into a six or seven year cycle that we would recognize the concept of quintessence, which is the uh, classical term term of, oh, well, there can be this fifth element too that we really don't uh, know what it is, but it's kind of out there. So quintessence would be recognized. And I would do one where we would recognize all of the classical elements. And then I would probably do one where we recognize the modern elements that we know and have some type of religious recognition of the periodic table of the elements. I'm thinking about that a little bit right now as uh, I've seen things about more discoveries have made the periodic table more complete and whatever that that could be a good thing to uh, look into and talk about and realize that we are as a movement, as people, as a religion, I kind of like to say maybe that we're elemental, not fundamental. <laughs> but but is is it is it hard to to do it that way to base it on rational, concrete terms? Do you have a difficulty doing that, or is it is it as easy as it would be if you were doing a biblical um, basis? Well, well, it's a very different approach because. I think this gets to one of the big differences with Unitarian Universalism is that we say that revelation is open, that, for example, in Islam, they declared uh, Quran the final revelation, 
and that there will be no new revelations after that. In many Christian denominations, they really don't look beyond the canon of the Bible that was set in 325, and anything newer would be revelation that would somehow have to relate to that. In Unitarian Universalism, with Revelation open, we can look to modern poetry, classical poetry. We can be open to music that addresses us deeply. If you can, if you like, I can say that addresses the soul. We can even look, as I have, to television and movies and rock and roll music and find things that are transcendent in all of that. And that the then when it gets to doing our Sunday morning ritual or a time of meditation or something like that, we have very different things to draw from. And we still have ways that what I try to do is address head, heart, and body in a way. The head is, is the thinking. The heart is the uh, feeling, the emotion. The body is the actual movement, the engagement with the world, if I can put it that way. And we try to find ways to do all of that within uh, a service. And I, at the beginning of a church year, I kind of put a template of the order of service together because there are still the standard elements. Us being based in the Protestant movement means that there are service elements that are pretty common. A time of what I've changed from a time of prayer to a time of contemplation, meditation, or prayer, because some people see differences in the terms. We have a sermon time. We have times for music. And yes, we have to have an offering as well, because as I say, we are self-supported and we don't always keep all the money. Uh, a lot of that does try to go into the community, whether it's local or into the larger world or the larger movement to be able to help in ways that other people can do better than us just talking about it. So with those standard elements, that's a way that I can find different readings or songs or whatever to be able to weave in and make a service that will address. And another thing is we have the realization that for Unitarian Universalists, there are people of deep traditional religious faith. There are people who have no religious faith at all. And I'm using the term faith and some people mm -hmm. will object to the term faith or the term soul or any of the uh, really traditional terms. But they kind of come into my conversation and I accept the terms of reverence as a religious humanist and I have wrestled with them myself. I don't much use the term God unless it's in quotations, for example. That's more my level of comfort when I don't personally address a God in my meditation or that way. And we have Buddhists as well. And we have people who have combined past faith traditions, the Jewish Buddhists, the Catholic Buddhists, for example. We know people, even with our local Zen Buddhist temple, who have that combination. We have that in Unitarian Universalism as well. So with all of that, I have to give reminders from time to time that we will not 
address everybody's need in every service, but your time will come. Please be with us in community. If your needs aren't being addressed, know that they will be and try to get something from what this is speaking to other people that you might be able uh, to take up yourself and have. So that that's one of the challenges in being such an open circle is some people feel underserved sometimes, and but we try. I know from what we've been talking about before, and you were talking about that that UU congregations are independent within that structure of the the um, Boston right. office, and I know that different congregations can differ in the acceptance of not only humanism but also people who might be atheists. Yes. I know I've had that experience down in Columbus at one of the congregations in Columbus. They didn't pretty much like me too much because I was an atheist, because I Mm -hmm. expressed that I was an atheist. But I do want to tell you, though, that myself and Sean, when we came to talk about the humanist group at your religious education class, everybody was welcoming of us. And so... You know, Toledo, Toledo was weighing above my experience in, down in Columbus. Yeah. Well, um, many is, people would call me a, a non-believer, and I don't like to use the term atheist. I, there was a book about agnosticism published in the past few years that I thought was really good. I forget the woman's name who wrote it right now. But agnosticism is more than just I don't believe or I'm putting things in reserve just in case. There, there is an openness to agnosticism that really, in a way, gets to a, do you believe in God? Then you are a theist. Do you not believe in God? Then you are an atheist. There are some agnostics, and I would put myself in this category of, well, that doesn't really matter. matter. There are people who do believe and don't believe, and we all have to be together and work together. And I'm one who, in my own aspect right now, I am preaching a series of sermons about once a month on different aspects of Jesus. And it's really from the my own approach as a non-believer to be able to talk about Jesus, as I read in the scriptures and in commentary and that type of thing, kind of filtered through my own brain to be able to address it. And it is an unbeliever's approach. And at the same time, just because these are sermons on Jesus, there are people who say, oh, well, that church is too religious for me. (laughs) So... So you can't win in some ways. Yeah, yeah, sometimes, right. Sometimes you can't win. Okay, well, finally, what I wanted to do is kind of give you an opportunity. People that listen to this, they may not be familiar with Toledo First UU. They might not be familiar with uh, Unitarianism. So I'll give you this opportunity to to promote your church and tell, tell the listeners, you know, what to expect if they come to a service or join your church. And uh, we'll leave it there. Leave it at that. Well, Doug, right now, this is a stay-at-home time. 
And where this interview is being done while the coronavirus global pandemic is in progress. And we are coming up on the eighth Sunday of having services with nobody there. We have converted our sanctuary basically into a studio. And we have the YouTube channel Toledo Unitarians. You can search for Toledo Unitarians on YouTube and have it pop up. We live stream our 11 o'clock Eastern time service on YouTube as a live stream, and it's available afterwards as well. If you want to tune in to the latest or even earlier services, they're on our Toledo Unitarians channel. We On the channel, we also have some other programming, uh, the 10 o'clock religious education hour with some things for adults. We have our Wednesday midweek meditation, which is Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. I believe, no, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And we're, but when we do open, we're not going to be the first congregation to reopen. I would expect us to be very solidly in the middle of the pack, if not at the back, because we realize that there are many people in our congregation who have uh, health compromise and would not be the best to be out in public. That includes me. I have a health history and I fall into the category of warning uh, you'd be better inside than out. And But we will be offering services again. And of course, we uh, do welcome all. We really work with the concept of all are welcome being real about that, that we realize even people with political differences, we welcome them. There are people with differences in income, for example. Often Unitarians kind of have a history of being a little bit more well-off or studied academically, and that is actually not the case. We have a great range of people in our congregation And really, the common thing that we have is people are coming to explore and to find some uh, way of doing church that will sit with them or to find a group of people that they can be together with. And while some will be like-minded, some will not be, but we all will try to get along and support one another. So please do come and experience our Unitarian Universalist congregation and as Doug had said earlier, there are many differences among congregations. So going to one doesn't mean that you experience them all. Uh, with my being a humanist minister, we have a good humanist orientation as well. So you might have more comfort if you're a listener to this podcast here uh, than in some other uh, congregations. So tune in and see what you think. Thank you for listening to this episode of Glass City Humanist. For further information, notes, and links used in the show, check out the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. The show is written and produced by Douglas Berger, and he is entirely responsible for the content. Comments and complaints can be left on the website or sent by email to listenercomments at glasscityhumanist.show. 
We are sponsored in part by the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, and they can be reached at humanistswle.org. The theme music used on Glass City Humanist is Your Call by Kevin McLeod from filmmusic.io and is licensed through creativecommons.org as Attribution 4.0 International. See you next time.